On this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we have Jen Shu, who is on to talk about nuance and it's important in basically everything as it relates to athletic training, uh, research, just general everyday practice, growth in the profession. And then if you follow Jen at all, you know how how passionate she is about minimalist footwear and the benefits that it can potentially have on somebody who's looking to go over to it. And we would really get into some of the nuance of that, which is a really important topic because it can be a really good thing or if you're not ready for it, uh, can also be really detrimental. So Jen provides a lot of really good insight on nuance and why it's so important and it's really hard to make any definitive or blanket statement when it comes to anything in the athletic training and in general, the healthcare profession. So we get into a lot of the weeds there and think you'll find it helpful. As always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. They're always on the cutting edge. Lots of good things coming up. Uh, the Revive is out. Uh, they've had it all over their social media. Um, really unique in the pneumatic compression world. Something worth checking out and really cost effective, uh, which is always at the top of mind for almost every budget. Uh, very few of us get to deal with bottomless budgets with that. So something to take into consideration there and also just the different attachments for the different applications. But without further ado, please enjoy this episode. episode of athletic training chat today we are on with jen shu who we have tried to make this work for a little bit while now uh but jen is very busy uh with the multiple things going on we'll let her dive into that but uh we connected through social media like so many other people have you know recently um but what we really connected on is uh, you had a post on there it may have been about minimalist shoes but on the nuance of how to get people to go into them. And that started just a bigger discussion as we were messaging back and forth about just the importance of nuance in general. Um, and so if you haven't seen any of the stuff that Jen's put out, either on Twitter or on Medium, highly recommend you go uh, and check her out. Uh, a lot of really good insight. But before we start jumping into everything, I just want to turn it over to you, Jen, to kind of give a little bit of your background. Um, you've done a lot um, across a broad spectrum uh, and are currently taking on even more uh, with your current academic pursuits. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I guess I'll start from the beginning. Um, I grew up outside of Philly and went to Pitt for undergrad and got my um, bachelor's in athletic training there. Um, then I took a year off and um, did an internship with Real Salt Lake. Well, the main reason I did that was actually I didn't get into grad school that first time around. So um <clears throat> The next year I went to Utah State for my master's and I had a really great experience like both clinically and research wise. And it kind of um, was a large part of the reason I decided to pursue my, my um, PhD. But before I came here to UVA, um, I spent a year at Oglethorpe University. It's like a small D3 school. And I got to sort of live out my dream of being a strength coach, you know, for like a, a semester. So that was fun. Um, and now I'm a second year doctoral student here at UVA. Um, and it's a really, really great learning experience. Like everyone here is very smart, <laughs> very experienced in research, and it's been really great being able to learn from them. Um, and yeah, my research interests, which you'll learn about later, is basically looking at how intrinsic foot muscle strength plays a role in um, foot health and overall health, as well as minimal issues. So um it's kind of it's not kind of all fitting together so yeah absolutely yeah UVA is absolutely no joke uh, just random connections you know Jay Hurdle is out of the right. UW lacrosse alumni where I spent seven years or so and still I'm connected with and just always mm -hmm. heard such good things about UVA and so I saw yeah. that and knew you were getting a heck of an experience uh all working right. with everybody there so um Going back to kind of the broad topic, um, nuance 
and we can talk we can tie this in however you want to with you know your work with you know minimalist shoes and your passion there but also just kind of on a much broader spectrum is i think mm-hmm. first we wanted we hit wrote down the definition of it and we probably should set that and then i'll ask you the first question you know so the definition we had on there is one a subtle or slight degree of difference as in meaning feeling or tone a gradation Two was an expression or appreciation of subtle shades of meaning, feeling, or tone. What do you think about nuance in general and what does it mean to you and why is it so important? Yeah, I think in a more like person-to-person sense, it means that we just give people a little more grace to be one, be themselves and to just say things, right? Um, (laughs) I, I think it means that we don't expect everyone to be perfect, right? And we don't expect ourselves to be perfect. And I think it's kind of like, um, where am I going with this? I, I wrote a bunch of stuff down, so I'm trying to like read Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, um, hang on, sorry. Okay, so I guess there are two sides to, me, to, to nuance for me. It's how you act and how you react, right? So for me it just means that I don't have to have perfectly like sound statements every single time I open my mouth because I I don't I know that I know how my brain works um and that's like your your half right but then it also means that when you're like taking in information from other people can you be just be more patient and gracious and remember to leave room for that nuance right it goes both ways like you just kind of wait a little bit before you interrupt and ask a question maybe or something like that right um I for example I think out loud right so a lot Mm -hmm. of times it's about just having a discussion just saying things out loud that don't really necessarily represent a full-fledged idea but maybe not everyone thinks that and it might be hard for us to communicate because of that you know and and I feel like sometimes I have to like really fully explain myself just so people don't like get upset at me or just so people fully understand and it can be really frustrating because you're just like, why do I always have to just like give you every single piece of information just so you don't think I'm stupid? Just as an example. <laughs> so I guess sometimes sure? I, yeah, I, I feel like it's um, just letting go of that expectation to like have everything perfect when it comes out of your mouth, for example. So. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point there. Is, you know, like as we're talking overall, but also, you know, athletic training podcast you know we're kind of referencing to the profession is you know what is perfect in in what we do and i i think that's something you know i've had this conversation on very philosophical levels with coaches and also um other athletic trainers you know what makes a good athletic trainer like what makes you better than me or me better than you and can you actually define that and i think that's where a lot of that nuance comes in yeah I just think there's like always a little bit more freedom in things that we learn in school right and like always more variation in the real world I I use this example because I get very upset people in Virginia don't use their turn signals for whatever reason especially (laughs) very bad right and so it's like these are rules that are set in place to use a turn signal right and that's something that like just you just follow it because it keeps you safe right but there's going to be variation in the world where like some people just don't use it and you're just going to have to react to it, you know, and you're going to have to be like, Oh, people just do things differently. And I think letting go of that control is like the whole point of nuance. It's really, really hard. You know, like you don't have to do everything the exact way that you were taught when you learn a new way to do things. Absolutely. So, that's kind of where my head goes. Uh, one of the questions we had kind of tail into that as we talked about athletic training, you know, is where do you see nuance being important or most important in the athletic training profession? Yeah. Um, to keep myself on track, I actually came up with three things just so I'm not like randomly spouting stuff. Um, <laughs> but the first is in evidence-based medicine and decision-making, right? That obviously plays a role um, in self-growth as an AT and as a person, and then also in interactions with other humans and athletic trainers, because that's, I had to touch on that, right? It's very important. Um, 
because nuance is important to me. Um, when I was a uh, first year, like AT, um, when I did my internship, I learned something from one of the athletic trainers there was that, you know, always have a reason for something you do, right? You don't want to just do something because right. for whatever bad reason, right? But I also realized recently that you have to pick the right reason to do things. Like you could have a reason, but it could just not be good, <laughs> you know? And so I think for me, that's that's another thing we'll get to another time, but it makes me hope that people have a reason um, for their action actions. And so where nuance comes in for me, it's like, right, let's say you decide to do something as a clinician and you tweet about it because you're like, I want to share about this decision that I made, right? Mm-hmm. And the next second, everyone's just like, talking at you and yelling at you because instead of asking questions or just like taking a breath and being like, huh, I wonder what they meant by this. And then going, right. right? They just like, it's like, it just, everyone just like tries to assume things. Right. But, and that's not a fault of our profession. Like humans are like that. Right. But like, sure. You know, my mom's like, well, my mom has rarely used like English idioms she usually uses Chinese ones but she's like you know when you assume you make an ass out of you and me like that's the one that she likes to use because I (laughs) very much assume so (laughs) so I think like it's almost like um um just a natural part of human nature right so I think that it's just something we can we can all work on to just just take a breath just everyone does things a little bit differently and if our patients are being taken care of the right way then that's, I think, the top priority, right? Right. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, I am very much into evidence-based medicine. And now as a researcher, I'm like, okay, I want to do, my friend Megan said, um, practice-informed research, right? And that's something really cool. It's kind of like a little tunnel between the two. Um, But evidence-based medicine involves like our um, experiences, right? And then patient preference but within reason of course you know you absolutely yep. just only cup your patients every day for a whole week that is very bad <laughs> be a lot of bruises so anyway um I, I think that points to why nuance is important right even there i had to clarify that patient preference has a limit which like i know that and other athletic trainers know that right but i'm always like okay i but i need to clarify to make sure that I don't get yelled at. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know if that says something about like, if I care too much about other people's opinions. Um, but, you know, I feel like those opinions actually do matter, right? Like you can say whatever you want. Okay, you're going to have a consequence. So like for me, I think that your impact does matter more than your intention, at least online or in like, you know, discussions with colleagues and stuff like that. I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I think I'm just pointing out that we should just be more careful about how we treat other athletic trainers because, you know, if we're expecting grace from everyone else, we should probably do the same thing, you know, kind of like when we're thinking about decision-making and clinical decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, that was like a a windy... <laughs> you're all good i think you brought up two huge points in there um one was you know if somebody posts something maybe having your not your first response is not to attack it or you know go off and just ask questions um i'm sure i've mentioned this book before adam grant's think again i think is a must read uh because he talks about talks, thinking like a scientist a politician mm-hmm. or a preacher and he advocates for the scientist side of it because your first reaction is to ask questions and look for new evidence or should be. So you can then either potentially make your own stance a little bit stronger or realize that something else is out there and maybe it's time for you to shift versus just preaching or politicizing something, you know, to where it's just, you know, going up on your bully yeah. pole to go and going through with that and so i think that's huge and even looking at stuff you know with not ats but like people coming down and like from coaches saying something like context is everything and you you don't know the context from a 30 second clip maybe let's not lose our minds about it especially on twitter when you get 280 characters or a thread to talk about it 
Right. Because, I mean, we know that with injuries, for example, with patients, I mean, there's so many things that go into our evaluation that, like, an armchair AT would not know about. Like, you know, there's patient history, there's patient preference, there's, like, traumas and stuff like that just change a lot of things. So, um, and I think your point about, you know, learning something new and then being able to change your mind is huge, right? I think, like, nuance allows us to grow and, and get better. So I think, like, it tells me that it's okay to change your mind if you have that good reason to change your mind, right? Like, I love consistency and authenticity and that kind of stuff because I like to say I'm too dumb to be fake, which is kind of true but like I've had to learn that consistency doesn't just mean doing things the same every time because you're like I have to be consistent it's like you can choose to make small things and small or small differences every single time you do something Mm -hmm. and you're expanding your mind right and you're just making these little exceptions and you're just like changing things not because you think you have to but because you're like this is actually the right thing to do now so if you make those small tweaks as you go, that's consistency, like, to me, you know, and, like, being able to, like, look at something and say, oh, maybe I should look into that or try it or ask about it instead of just rejecting it because it doesn't fit what you currently, you know, have in your mind. So, so, yeah. Yeah, I think that's another point that I was you just expanded on it, whether you knew it or not, is there's almost like no absolutes in what we do and there can't be and, you know and that doesn't mean anybody that does one specific thing is right or wrong you know you mentioned cupping and yes maybe not every day for a week is the way you'd want to go with it but you know like it is a tool that not everybody agrees with there was a big discussion about i stem you know the other day you know whether or not but like time and place because i feel like if you start speaking in absolutes you know kinesio tape is probably another big one like and that it is something that you just never know like you're limiting yourself in a time that maybe it could be the perfect tool that you randomly needed but if you close yourself off to it i'm not saying all the claims about them are set and perfect by any means but i think that's the that nuance of it is being able to know what you think about it when to use it but never fully closing the door on it yeah yeah exactly because everyone's yeah, based medicine a lot of times we'd end up just staring at our patient uh, and having a conversation with them because it contradicts itself so many times in so many yeah. ways so right and you only get 240 characters like what are you what are you really going to do with with that so right. that, that can be um that can be tough but yeah i guess i guess like the the main thing is, I mean, I do, I don't live on social media, you know, but like the majority of my training friends are from social media because, um, when I was in my undergrad, like program, I just was not very friendly. Maybe. I don't really know. Either way, (laughs) mostly friends with, with some internet people, you know? Um, so I think I've learned a lot about just like how to interact with people in, in positive ways. Like it's really just taken weight off my shoulders by like, just seeing something and I'm like, I don't have to say anything, you know, I can just, I can just pull myself back. And like, um, it also is interesting to me because, um, you know, you assume that everyone, maybe this is just me, but I feel like we tend to assume that people are all good communicators, you know? So when we see like something that doesn't make sense, we're like this, I don't like, why isn't this working? And what we don't realize is that people communicate very differently and like at very different levels, which adds another layer to also not be able to see like facial expressions and hands. And I'm a very like, you know, (laughs) uh, out there person with my hands and my facial expressions. So, you know, without that, it changes things. So I think, um, I think a lot of athletic trainers also do live on the internet in a way because it's much easier to meet other ATs that way. Um, So I'm sure we've all experienced that, but I think just like leaving room for for differences in communication and things like that would would go a long way, so. Absolutely. You you may have already answered this a little bit, but I will um, ask it anyway. You know, in your personal experience, how do you balance that nuance within the profession? I think we've kind of covered that, but I want to just ask it again in case there was something that we didn't hit on specifically. Yeah. Um, let's see. Okay. 
So, I mean, you know, I never claim to be the voice of reason or anything like that, but I just like to view things from an objective point of view. Sure. Because like, I'm really interested in like, why do people do these things? Like, I'm just always thinking right. about like the why, but I think this is a few weeks ago, but you know, you asked about balancing on dominant versus non-dominant legs, like, you know, oh, yeah. and a, a lot of the answers were really great, but they all touched on the idea that it, it depends. Right. And I thought it was interesting because um, I actually kind of start, started to hate that phrase. Right. Because we, we know it depends. I was listening to, um, it's a good podcast, E3 Rehab. It's okay. with a physical therapist named um, Sam Spinelli and a few other PTs. I'm not really sure their names, um, but they jokingly were like, take a shot for every time someone says it depends. Right. <laughs> we, yeah. know, we know these things depend <laughs> but i think people are scared to make a firm decision and say no this is how i do it most of the time but sure. i leave room for new one you know i was like what about water sport athletes who are not ever really doing things on land that require like a dominant limb right like what would you do then or um a dancer or soccer player like there's some like specific athletes that might have um <laughs> just very different you know goals there so so I think maybe you, you consider the context, right? Like for rehab, yes. maybe you would do like, um, um, like post-concussion rehab on both legs, right? Or something someone feels comfortable. But if it's for like research or injury testing, right? You, you might want to be more specific. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can argue about us all you want, or you can just kind of be like, well, okay. It just, it just depends. And I just, I was like frustrated a few weeks ago also, because we, you know, talked about should ATs call their patients, their kids, right? I'm like, okay, well, maybe if I'm talking to other athletic trainers, I'm like, oh, one of my kids did this last week. It was really funny. And like, you know, we're just telling a story to our friends who understand that they're patients. But maybe if we're in the context of like professionalism, you know, I might say patients. But I think for like shaming people for doing other things is just like, very confusing to me because uh, I don't know <laughs> it just doesn't seem necessary you know it's like shame should exist in culture for a reason <laughs> to like you know help people correct themselves <laughs> when they're doing something just totally inappropriate but, right. but you know require that kind of like just arguing or whatever so <laughs> sometimes I, I i get frustrated and i'm not perfect in that but um um just seeing that sometimes it's like ah, why are we doing this <laughs> so i think that's such an important point you know how often do we feel like we're actually changing somebody's mind by coming at them hot whether that's within the profession or you know there's like you said there's time and places for potentially things to be called out and, you know, brought to attention. But even after a lot of these catastrophic events, like just calling people out probably is not going to get them to react in the way you ultimately want them to react. And there was a really interesting TED talk. A lady was talking about calling people in versus calling them out and just making that connection. I think she was talking about like with a, you know, talking with a warlord and somewhere in Africa, I mean, like the highest stakes of, you know, calling someone yeah. in to try and figure that out, you know, compared to arguing about trainer or towel gate or whatever it is on Twitter this week, you know, or whatever and whatnot. But I thought that was an interesting concept dude, that we actually tried to embrace those people and like work with them. Would we see more change that we actually want to see? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think there's, I mean, if you took that passion that you have for arguing just <laughs> and put it into doing other things like that, I think that'd be really awesome. And I, I mean, and, you know, again, this is all stuff on the internet. So I'm kind of like, is this even real life, Jen? But like, but it is, you know, <laughs> um, so, so sometimes that that's hard, but I think just stepping away from like the internet for a second, <laughs> um, I think also this nuance can really apply to all these rigid rules that people have for movement, right? So they're like, this is what perfect posture is. You know, you sure. should sit like this all 24 hours of the day, or, you know. Um, and then they're not the one where it's like, if you have scapular dyskinesis, 
you're just you're just dysfunctional and you're gonna be in pain you're gonna be injured but like maybe maybe we have to consider you know the one the people who do desk work like like me now it means i have to constantly switch positions maybe every 20 30 minutes so i can just get my work done but also you know get some movement right. which do i actually do it eh, we'll see yeah. but <laughs> but you know the other thing is like maybe i'm a throwing athlete and maybe it's an adaptation right and having like a differently moving scapula on my throwing side maybe that's not a cause of my pain but it's just the way my body has started to adapt right um, so many examples but i think my favorite like rehab specialists whether you're an atpt whatever um are like the movement optimists right they're the ones who always know that like our bodies are stronger than we think so i guess i am going to go back to twitter but um <laughs> greg Le- lehman lemon like, yeah i, I, don't yeah, know, I know who you're it. talking about yeah i don't know yeah. if it's layman or <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah <laughs> but he is a physical therapist i think and chiropractor i probably should have looked that up before i you know brought him up here but um <laughs> he's would consider like a really good critical thinker um he wrote it's weird the physio topics that i strong and uncommon views on in the past are now becoming popular yet i'm softening my stance on them the more i learn about a topic the less rigid i am on that sure you know and i i really love that um so yeah and i just i just wonder if we could all kind of start doing that and i'll touch on that more in my discussion about minimalist shoes but but yeah that's kind of like the two different ways that i see trying to balance the nuance in our profession is like preaching the idea of movement optimism and then you know sort of changing the way that we just interact with people and have discussions about at things so for sure um before we jump into the minimalist stuff which i'm very interested to hear your take on that because that's something you know again i i've haven't gone as far as minimalist with you but definitely it's been something i've considered and always cringe a little bit when we start talking about you know orthotics for each and every situation um but understand that we live in a world of quick fixes but um just to kind of wrap up everything we talked about when you talked about this a little bit with you know evidence-based medicine and uh practice-based medicine you know uh We've got a follow-up coming up, um, probably actually a couple episodes before this with uh, Dr. Kim Barber-Foss, and she brought up the evidence-based tripod. Okay. All those things that you talked yeah. about, those three components. Um, but anything from, you see the education or understanding and then the patient-provider beliefs that play into nuance and figuring out how to apply the best care in a given situation that you'd like to elaborate on. I think you kind of yeah. talked about it, but if just wanted to give you one more shot at that and I'm definitely looking forward to this minimal yeah. part of it yeah I think the the main thing with education is it's really hard to learn everything you need in, in those two years yes. or I mean now it's turning into two years right my, my sure. undergrad program was two years it's so hard to learn everything so you kind of have to go into the field knowing that like you're gonna learn more even as your first year on your own and you know you can lean on other ATs but you're gonna have to just continue to learn you know, which um, is tough. <laughs> it's just tough to kind of put yourself out there and be like, well, what am I going to learn about today that I'm bad at that I can get better at? Like, <laughs> you know, it kind of is hard to do that. But I think one way it helps is to find mentors. And for me, like, I think going out to Utah State was really helpful because I could learn from ATs who just were from the other side of the country. Like, I learned yeah. from people who went in Washington, Montana, Michigan, Utah, Idaho, California. Like, you know, they're so different from where I went to school. So sure. you can learn a lot of other philosophies, but um, yeah, some of my greatest mentors were just ATs I met like like later on in, in my career. And that was um, a super big turning point in, in my life, you know? Um, so yeah, I fully credit like my dive into personal growth to my uh, internship at Real Salt Lake. Um, Tyler Knight is an athletic trainer who just, absolutely changed the way I like saw the world and myself and so um that's huge to find people who you can like teach you different things <laughs> absolutely so, I think that and then uh 
with patient and provider beliefs. I think this is huge because um, I'm Chinese. My parents are, um, they're both born in China. They moved here when they're like, like they're late, mid to late twenties, probably around my age right now, actually, which is so scary. Um, but like, you know, we didn't grow up with, we didn't really embrace Western medicine that much. Sure. So I remember like going to the medicine cabinet one day at like in my clinical rotation. And I was like, I have no idea what half this stuff is. And, like, I just like freaked out you know, cause I just, I was like, this is embarrassing, but I just didn't know, you know, like one thing, uh, my parents <clears throat> do, I don't know why this works, but if you have just like a really stuffy nose, you just take the green onion end, like the white part and you just cut a piece off and you just stick it up your nose and it just, just clears it out. You know, um, I've definitely recommended these things to patients before, but you know, with cold medicine, there's like 800 options. And I was just like, so overwhelmed. So I think like I ended up finding a balance um, in in this, you know, the whole idea of being Asian American. Um, it, it was it was interesting to kind of work through that and like be able to 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 realize that you know I could recommend that my athletes put green onion stems up their nose, and I could also give them cold medicine. I could do both. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and I, and even with like communication styles, um, I the the type of I guess I think the way I was raised is like, if I need help, I'll ask. But generally I try not to ask for help, right? Sure. I remember like my classmates leaving RGA, um, like when we were leaving at the end of the day, you know, I would still be there um, working with some volleyball players and they'd be like, oh, do you need help? And I just always said, no, we always said no, you know? And I never asked anyone if they needed help because again, I just assumed, no, you're just gonna ask me if you need it. So. There, it's very different and I was like I guess I'm perceived as being rude maybe but like I just just not how I how I am so I think learning a lot about how you do things and seeing how other people do things like really can change what you're doing you know you might be like oh I'm not really like actually connecting with my athletes as much as I think I am like I see other ATs like doing this really well and I want to work on this you know mm -hmm. and and seeing like just all the different ways people do things and you know knowing that you're not the only you're not like you're it's not your way or the highway you know right. all these things so I think um um yeah looking into things you believe things other people believe and just kind of I don't know just being more observant is, is huge <laughs> so I'm with it yeah finding your the right mix of how you need to adapt and how maybe they need to adapt and not always assuming it's the other person that has to adapt to you. Yeah. yeah it, it is a fine balance and mix of that. And it, it can get interesting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to just ask the question, which is going to be a very big question and I'm just going to let you go with yeah. it and then we'll see what follow-ups come up, come from it. Um, Obviously, you've been, if anybody's followed you, a very big proponent of minimalist footwear. Where does nuance fit into that? And then for those of you just listening, um, this might be a chance to click over um, to YouTube if you want to see it. Uh, Jen's going to show off a couple different versions that are most likely not the five-finger ones. So after yeah. that, go for it. Yeah, so um, I know a lot of people are like, when you say minimal shoes, do you mean there's like gross five-finger toed shoes? You know, I'm like, no, because... If you like them, that's fine. You, you, you can go for it, you know? Um, I just like to show people that there are different options. Um, yep. So basically minimalist footwear. This is probably my most minimal pair right here. Um, basically it's footwear that provides minimal interference with the natural movement of the foot. Okay, so there's a lot of flexibility. So you can see me, I can literally roll my shoes up. Okay, mm -hmm. it's fun, fun magic trick. Um, <laughs> and then there's low heel to toe drop. So mine is zero drop. So it's no difference from the heel to the toe. Um, then let's see, there's a low weight and a low stack height. So it's just thin. Um, and then there's no, any, no like motion control or stability devices. So there's no like arch support or anything like that. Right. Um, so yeah. And then a main thing, they didn't put this in the, in this definition, you know, but there's also a really wide toe box. So you can yes. see like, it's a really wide at the front. Looks a little like a, clown shoe but that's okay but i want to show you some other pairs so um these are my blue suede shoes i really like them nice um 
they are, you know, most of those things that I've said before, um, you know, they're kind of flexible, but I like them. They kind of go good with like different outfits and they're, they're cute, which is important, obviously, <laughs> even as an athletic trainer. And then these are my new favorites. Um, they also, they kind of look like Vans, right? They're a little yeah. more casual. So I'm just like showing you, like, there are a lot of different ways to have minimal shoes. And I think that's huge because, you know, that's going to appeal to more people. <laughs> so you don't have to wear like ugly shoes, by the way. That's um, but, okay. My puppy is talking to me. So apologize. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I guess there's nuance in um, a few. Sorry. I didn't think she was going to do this. I think if I let her out, she might just be able to be quiet. That's fine. Yeah, take it down. Pause and then we can. All right. Come on, Here, do you want this one? Yeah, go get it. Fine, I'll give you a tennis ball. Jeez. She loves tennis balls. Okay. So the nuance, I guess, with minimal shoes is that um, there are a lot of different types, right? With like different amounts of um, sole thicknesses or different amounts of um, like toe room for whatever you need. So if, for example, you stand all day at work and you work on brick or concrete, which is just a very hard surface, you might want more padding, right? You might not want to start out with a shoe that's just like six millimeters tall because that's not, not a lot. <laughs> um, and let's see if you have like turf toe or decreased amounts of like, you know, toe flexion or even our toe extension, sorry. And even like um, just a very inflexible foot, right? Maybe you don't want to pick the most bendy shoe. It might not feel great. So that's step one. Um, and there's step two, which is arguably, I guess, more important. Um, I guess as much as I love them, right? And I think a lot of people could benefit from them. I also am starting to understand like they're not for everyone. So right. you see, I learned, I'm learning more and I'm softening my stance. So um, I was speaking to a physical therapist at um, UVA's musculoskeletal center, which is a really great clinic. Um, and she finally sort of put my thoughts into words on that. She said, people whose structure can't be fixed by muscle strengthening shouldn't wear them. Right. Cause they won't be able to have that support. Sure. They need. Uh, so like if someone has a pez planus foot just because of their bony structure and you can't really like lift that just by muscle strengthening, then the shoe is, is probably not for them. Um, it, it could just be dangerous, you know? So, um, I think that's one of the more important things. And also we know that with running shoes or just shoes in general, right now, the research is saying like, Pick what's comfortable to you. So if the shoe is not comfortable to you, then it might not be right for you. Now, I will say that when you wear minimal shoes, um, when you first start out, it's not really comfortable because you're like kind of making your foot bend a lot and push off a lot and work really hard, mm -hmm. you know? But, you know, once you get over that hump, you feel really strong. Your, well, your feet feel strong. Um, <laughs> and... Um, if that's something that you want to sort of look into, right, then that's something you, you might benefit from. But um, I have an example. So, um, oh, I guess I'll get to that in a second. But okay. So um, we know that minimal shoes can improve the size and strength of intrinsic foot muscles in healthy individuals. Yep. Um, so wearing them will increase your muscle strength, right, over time. So you'll adapt to that, like, um, lack of structure in the shoe and that's how the strengthening kind of comes across I guess um, it has been mainly studied in healthy people and runners but there's a few studies using them in um, patients with knee osteoarthritis mm -hmm. since they're showing to offload the knee and they do increase loading to the foot and ankle but when you offload the knee right that might be helpful for knee sure. OA so hopefully there's more to come um, that's something I kind of want to want to get into so so we'll see but um um I guess the, the final thing with this is that um running in minimalist shoes um is not necessarily bound to decrease injuries like people say or like you know people tried to say for a few years sure um 
often the injuries change locations. So um, one paper by Altman and Davis in 2016, I think, they talked about how the location of injuries change when you change um, with, or when you, um, you know, are wearing minimal shoes or regular shoes. They may have done it with people who are barefoot and wearing regular shoes, but Mm -hmm. in this case, at least, it's not right to approximate minimal shoes to barefoot, but, like, I still want to, like, kind of give the whole picture, if that makes sense. So, um, in this source, in the study, um, people who were barefoot suffered a lot more foot and ankle injuries. Now, of course, you know, you're going to get foot injuries to the bottom of your foot if you were running barefoot, but it was different um, compared to the traditional shoe runners who had more knee and hip issues. So, you know, it's like these injury locations just kind of change. So that's, that's one thing that we see. Um, and you also really want to make sure you slowly transition into wearing minimal shoes and you don't just like start your regular mileage in them, right? If you're a runner, right. you might start, you just do one mile in the shoe the first day and that's it, you know? And, uh, yeah, I had a friend who actually tried them. He's a really good runner. Um, but he decided to go back to his normal shoes because he was fine in them. You know, he had no injuries. He was doing well. And if he had to go back and start using them, he'd have to like revamp his whole training schedule Uh and route so that he could change his shoes halfway through. It, It would just be kind of pointless for him. He's more concerned about performance than curiosity of minimal shoes. So, so yeah, um, (laughs) I also am not necessarily a proponent for running in them, um, but in making it part of your like lifestyle and, and daily activity. So it's kind of where I'm at. Absolutely. I think just on a personal one, just with when COVID happened and the pandemic being at home more, just being barefoot in the house, especially yeah. on a lot of the carpet, like all of a sudden like, I'm a, I wear like, hey, dudes, they're one of my favorite shoes just because there's not a lot of cushion there. And if there is, I'm not a small guy. I tend to wear them out quickly. So it becomes more of a, a zero or a less yeah. of a drop. Uh, they, I think they also made it thicker, which I didn't appreciate after the kind of the original versions came out. But anyway, all of a sudden, like the same size didn't quite fit as well because I felt like my foot had expanded just from by nature of being home and being barefoot more often compared to being yeah. in yeah. shoes at work all day every day so it was kind of an interesting like huh didn't expect that but there it is yeah I, I think that's cool to like notice things like that and just sort of be able to see how your foot structure changes now like for me I I um my next project is looking into um I was like a um plantar fasciopathy mm-hmm. we know it's plantar fasciitis but that's the term I like to use now um and looking at it in um um, like risk factors and, and burden of it. And one thing I'm going to dive into is how your feet change after pregnancy and seeing that, you know, plays a role possibly sure. in this injury or just developing things, but that's for another time sort of. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think one thing that I am very adamant about is I'm not necessarily encouraging athletic trainers to recommend minimal shoes to their athletes because um, it, right now maybe their main goal is performance right and if they're not in pain we don't need to really fix anything so let's you know we can we can kind of take that off the table but i'm more encouraging athletic trainers to like try these minimals try minimals footwear um is that we're on our feet a lot all day right and i'm i know you're like jen doesn't that mean we should wear supportive footwear and it does right but i also like to argue that at some point like minimal shoes become supportive footwear in the sense that your foot like learns to support itself and becomes super strong. Now it takes time and you know, there's definitely a transition period where you might start wearing like um, halfway minimalist shoes as I like to call them. They're called consider them transition shoes. They're like pretty thick. So there's still some cushioning. So if your athletic training room is built on concrete floors, (laughs) you know, it'll be a little more comfortable at first. And you might wear them for like an hour a day and then switch them out, which is what I did with my first pair of minimal shoes, right? You don't want to put on a pair of like six millimeter thick shoes to take 20,000 steps for your first day of preseason. You know, it's like when we bring back athletes after stress fracture, right? Um, we 
we we slowly take them out of the boot we slowly get them back into activity right your soft tissue and bones like need need time to adapt so um so yeah i i do also get like pretty frustrated how quickly um like normal shoes can deform and flatten so like my nike pegasus that Uh i got um you know a lot of schools use those i started to see like squish marks i guess in the foam like pretty early on after like 10 times of wearing them and so minimal shoes are expensive to start but they last i would say a lot longer because it's not really like form um a lot of companies are are good about replacements um so yeah and the best part is there's a lot of toe room so like if you want to wear thick socks because it's cold out you have more room (laughs) because i feel like a lot of people like okay it's cold i'm gonna put three pairs of socks on under my boots but then if you squish your feet and there's no blood flow then you're also going to feel cold which you know if you're in wisconsin you you would know about that i don't yes yes. as much but um but yeah so i uh i guess last point about about this i've definitely had a few athletic trainers ask me about minimal shoe companies to try which is my favorite question i get by the way so if anyone you know really needs needs help with that um <laughs> I, I always suggest a transition shoe because they're easier to get used to um so my favorite brand for that is ultra okay. um they're thicker than most minimal shoes but they still have nice toe boxes and they're zero drop um for me they're still a little narrow for me because even the men's version because i've pretty wide feet but um but yeah, it's, it's, they're, they're uh, more comfy. And then there's also some cheap brands on Amazon, which um, are a good starter shoe to try. See if you, you like that at all. Um, Cause I know, I know you're like, Jen, I can't, I can't wear those five toed ugly shoes or clown shoes. Cause my patients, my athletes will make fun of me. And I, I get that. So um, there's a, a ton of really good fashionable choices nowadays. Um, I'll, I'll have Joel share a link below of yep. like my, what's a minimal shoe document with some recommendations. Yeah. Yep. I saw that in the notes. So we'll definitely get that yeah. linked. Yeah. All right. Well, with that ready to jump into the teacher questions. Yeah. Yeah. So the first one sure. is where do you see athletic training going in five to 10 years? Um, this is so hard for me sometimes because I'm like, I'm like, I'm not like necessarily practicing that much right now. I'm doing like, um, the UVA sports medicine camps, you know, that's like my, sure. my main PRM. So sometimes it's hard, you know, and I'm like, I feel like I'm sort of far away from it, but, um, I do have a lot of clinician friends and I do like to talk about what they're currently experiencing. So right now I feel like a lot of people my age, which is mid to late twenties. Okay. I can, I can include the mid still. Um, I feel like we're still frustrated and confused with the the current situation. I'm about five and a half years in now. And I feel like not to sound cheesy or to sound cheesy, like we're, we're going to change it. I I think that we can make small changes over the next five to 10 years that give us the things we, we deserve, like, you know, like in respect in general, (laughs) um, salary, work-life balance. Like I do see people my age turning down jobs because they're like this isn't enough for you know going to ask for more money and I need to learn how to do that but um yeah I think that's gonna just things are gonna change like real change is slow right like I I think a lot of us are on the same page now um because at least like the digital nature of the world has made it easier to connect and like mm-hmm. really and come together to make those changes happen and see, oh, that person is doing this. Let me try it at my place and just kind of spreading things like that. So I think that if we're patient, but we also, you know, work to make it happen, I, I do think we can, um, we can make a lot of good change. So um, I mostly, see, yeah, like I said, see changes in like salary and, and work-life balance and stuff like that. So absolutely us middle 30s and something tend to agree with you so <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i can only yeah. say middles we're not where i got i can't say early and i'm not saying late yet yeah um <laughs> what advice would you give you to yourself if you could go back when you were a younger athletic trainer and if you could kind of set when that would be yeah um i think sometimes i 
I almost want to go back and tell myself when I was an AT student, just because that's when I was really struggling with everything, <laughs> you know, um, but I guess I, I wrote down like 10 different things and I'm just going to just list them off because it's fun, right? Enjoy it, right? Just enjoy where you are. <laughs> um, appreciate the relationships you get to make with coaches, athletes, other athletic trainers, other support staff, other whatever it is, you know, um, laugh at yourself more. That's huge. You know, you're going to make mistakes. You are going to spill a cooler of ice probably in a hallway after a wrestling meet. It might just happen and that's okay. <laughs> um, make mistakes within reason. Right. But just know that it's part of life and, and failure is an inevitable. That's five. Right. So you got to learn to embrace it. Um, and I guess this is attached, but number six, you just tell yourself you'll do better the next time. And that's, that's all you have to do and you do it. And that's it. <laughs> um, right. Ask questions. Even if you don't know how, ask one question, even if you think it's dumb. And if the, if it doesn't go across well, you know, ask a different question or find a different person to ask. But you when you ask one question, it will follow, <laughs> you know? And then the last thing that's more specific to me, I think, and maybe other people understand this, embrace like your very emotional nature and just let it become a strength. I'm a very emotional person. Um, but I let it become my strength because it means that I'm very passionate about what I do and what I believe in. And, um, you know, I can sort of recognize emotions in other people and, and, um, especially in our athletes, right. That's really important. So I think, uh, I think that's, that's huge. So just, just 10 short things that you can do. Yeah, no, <laughs> what has been the most influential resource you have found in your career? Um, for me, uh, people, you know, you're going to get a lot more out of that than, than you think. Um, <laughs> I've always kind of struggled to find mentors, um, in a, I, I can, I guess, you know, you could say that I'm slightly difficult. I'm, <laughs> I'm really hard on myself. I'm a lot of emotions. I'm, you know, a lot of things like that. Um, but I found some people who, um, really have wanted to help me. And I think, you know, I learned to stop trying to be stopping like a few minutes late to everything which I have now unlearned unfortunately um <laughs> but I learned to have confidence and learn that like mistakes can happen at any stage in life and I think that's huge right you're never above mistakes even no matter how old you get um experienced we'll say experienced you and yeah and then it, I guess something funny is like um just by, you know, interacting with my advisor and other classmates and the faculty members, right? I'm like, I, I actually um, learned that. Um, okay, hang on, where am I going with this? Okay, I may have started out that sentence wrong. <laughs> um, no, I, I learned that um, I'm good at research, and I mean, no one's ever good at it, you know. But I think that like my brain is geared geared for it. Sure. And I think that I love it. So for me, that means, you know, I'm doing a good job, I think. Um, <laughs> and I think that, you know, taught me to be confident and, and, and just to be myself. So um, I guess for me, I kind of just went into things I've learned. But this is the whole point is that people, other people have taught me these things. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think finding the right people to guide you is really important. Um, and then the other the second thing is, is Instagram. Kind of sound weird, but oh, that's yeah. When I was a senior in college, I was struggling with like a lot of my own injuries, especially plantar fasciitis, and like I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. It was like I'm an AT student. This is embarrassing. I should know, you know, know how to fix this. Sure, um, sure, sure. But I found this community of like PTs and ATs online that inspired me in the way that they like applied their critical thinking skills to rehab. So it didn't really fix the pain right away, but it gave me a purpose in my life because I was like, oh, I have a strength in thinking critically about rehab and movement. And that's something I can use for the rest of my life. So I think that changed my life more than more than you'd think it could, I guess. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So again, still finding the right people. Absolutely. Sure. Um, as an AT in your role, 
how do you take care of yourself? Um, well, I think as a, a PhD student, I do have more work-life balance. Like my weekends, I do work sometimes, but a lot of times I just get to breathe on the weekends, you know? Um, so I'm learning about downtime and, and what that is. Um, <laughs> so I spend a lot of time like running myself into the ground and just like going and going and doing stuff at the start of my semester. But I was like, I got a new dog. Okay. Started playing. I was playing water polo and still trying to lift a lot and bike to class and do all my homework. And it just got to be a lot. So I actually quit going to the gym, which is horrifying to say, honestly. Um, <laughs> but after, you know, a few weeks of, of doing that, I was like, this is actually okay. I have time to do homework. I have time to breathe and just be okay with not going to the gym and pressuring myself to go to the gym. I can just hang out with my friends and my dog and just take it easy. So I think for me, I'm still learning how to take care of myself. That's fair. But yeah, it's tough work to actually take care of yourself. <laughs> so, yeah. If you could change or eliminate one thing, could be a modality, a common practice, or a mindset in the field of athletic training, what would it be? Um, so I think the way that we view gait analysis and just the analysis of a foot structure as the end all, be all. Um, I mean, I know how I learned about foot structure when I was an undergrad, and I just feel like um, there's a lot more nuance in that. Um, we seem to have like misconceptions of how much like pronation is an issue and how important orthotics are and just all these things. I guess I don't really want to get into that right now, but um, though the research is pretty varied, right? We're starting to open up and see that there's some nuance in um, uh, foot strike, for example, right? Everyone's like, if you heel strike, you're going to be more injured. That's not necessarily true. So we're kind of seeing research open that up for us. Um, and so we're starting to see the nuance there and um, how footwear, you know, can, can play a role, even though everyone's like, we have to recommend footwear for your foot type. We're still seeing that comfort is still a huge thing with, right. with picking shoes. So I think that's, that's one thing I wish we would like change a little bit. So, yeah. I like it. That was the first time we've had that one, but I, uh makes yeah. a lot of sense. That's I haven't given good. a lot of thought to it lately in my current state, but yeah, I think you're spot on and, you know, figuring out how to meet the person and everything with where they're at. Yeah. Our final question then, what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? Well, to me, it means um, that I get to help someone keep doing what they love or what they have to do in order to survive, right? Um, I probably... This is probably not rare to ATs in general, but I've definitely struggled with injuries in the past. And I remember thinking, like, I don't ever want anyone to feel this way because it sucks, right? Um, I think I had a lot of, I didn't have a lot of confidence about how resilient the human body is, or I just didn't really think that I could actually get better, right? And having the ability to, like, build other people up in that way that I didn't have is something I really want to do for other people. So that's like my, I guess my main, I don't know. That's just why I like being an athletic trainer and stuff. So, so yeah. Awesome. Well, just kind of in closing, if people wanted to follow you, connect with you, um, what would be the best way to do it? And then as we kind of talked about, we'll have that link uh, to the minimal shoe info um, as well as, uh, Jen's blog on Medium. So, but with that, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way? Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter. Um, it's Jen Shoe underscore ATC, um, which I know we've talked about minimal shoes in my last name. Yes, it's pronounced shoe. It's perfect. What we call a nominative determinism, I think, or something like your name dictates what you'll be. But um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> and my Instagram is barefoot.at. Um, and you can always ask me questions there. And I, I think this might go without saying, but I'm saying anyway, I really love to discuss things and answer questions and especially about minimal shoes. So don't be afraid to reach out. Um, I, if you couldn't tell, I really like to talk. 
and listen <laughs> working on it so um i really like to just interact with people so don't don't be afraid to reach out absolutely well thank you for taking the time um it was a great discussion lots of little nuggets in there i think around nuance and especially just kind of talking about it with minimal issues but what can be applied on the much bigger um ideas and different ideas within that so uh, i just wanted to thank you again for taking the time thank you for checking out this episode of athletic training chat with our guest jen shu who is nuanced in everything she does which is great in how she prefer approaches the profession i was your host joel lukey i'm a big fan of nuance and just the more i get into this career the more it seems to play a role in everything and so please uh, continue to think about that as you go through your daily practice and interaction with everyone as always powered by Mueller sports medicine we are still doing the throw a lifeline campaign uh, things have shifted around a little bit it is now housed at clinicallypressed.org uh, we are getting clinically pressed to be a 501c3 nonprofit, following all our donations are there so you can get your tax write-off for donating and it will help an athletic trainer that for whatever reason just doesn't have the budget to get some basic emergency medical supplies that could be really useful a lot of other things happening at clinically pressed if you feel so inclined to check those out a lot of great resources as well um, but with that thank you for listening and we will catch you on the next episode